Hello. I'm still away this week, hopefully cycling effortlessly in Portugal. But before I went, I recorded this podcast about a subject that will determine what you will see, hear and find online in the next few years. That subject is the government's long-awaited media bill, which has been published in draft form, will be introduced in Parliament in the autumn and will become law, doubtless with some amendments, by this time next year. In my view, there are aspects to it which threaten significant areas of public service broadcasting, including localism, science and religion. One of the main stated aims of the bill is to make sure public service broadcast content is always carried and easy to find for UK audiences on connected devices and major online platforms. Channel 4 will be allowed to make some of its own content instead of being purely a publishing house and PSBs in general will be given more so-called flexibility over what and how they broadcast, removing quotas on certain subject areas, such as religious content. On-demand services, such as Netflix, will also be brought under UK regulation, making them subject to the same standards as broadcast TV channels, by giving the regulator Ofcom powers to investigate and take action, if they consider it appropriate. And that has not gone down well with those streaming services. Well, to talk through what some of these changes might mean, I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Souter, a former managing editor of Current Affairs at the BBC, who later became a specialist advisor to the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, which brought in the last media bill in 2003. That's the one which set up Ofcom, the UK's media and communications regulator, of which Tim became a founding partner. He now runs his own consultancy, Perspective Associates. Tim Souter, thanks for joining us on the podcast. There are few people better qualified to talk about regulation, media bills and so forth. So I'm delighted that you are talking to us about this new media bill. But can you explain how important is this one? I mean, does it really, really matter to the ordinary viewer and listener? Well, I think it does, because if I think back 20-odd years ago when we were doing the last one, there were all sorts of questions around about how sustainable is public service broadcasting. We all knew that public service broadcasting is this extraordinary creation from which listeners and viewers have benefited hugely over the last, well, since the creation of the BBC and then the creation of ITV and the introduction of commercial radio alongside the BBC services. It's, it's an extraordinary confection made up of different interlocking and interweaving companies and institutions and approaches that has delivered a great richness of content and enjoyment and education and all those good things. But it was already under pressure in 2003 because you could see that the way it was funded was going to be increasingly difficult. The way that you persuaded ITV companies to stay in the game was, was already under pressure. Channel 4 facing difficulties. So it was important last time round, to have a to have an approach that recognised that the, fu- the what the future held that was about to hit us had already multi-channel television was there. Now we've got an environment that is even more pressured, uh, where the public service broadcasters, if they don't get the sort of help, some of the help that the government is talking about, and some of it will be highly contentious, and some of it won't be. If they don't get that help, then their ability to continue to do the job we want them to do will be constrained. So 
Yes, it does matter. It's, you know, it's several thousand pages long and I don't expect anybody to read it. I have to confess I've only skimmed it. But, um, <laughs> well, but to be fair, they'd fair to the DCFS, uh, the government, it's up there on a website if you just put the new media bill. You oh, do sure. get summary and stuff like that. I can follow bits of it. But what I don't see there, to start off with, is a proper definition of what public service broadcasting is. I mean, and, and when you talk to the BBC, as we've been trying to talk about in these podcast series and whatever, people talk about the survival of organisations, but not necessarily about the purpose of those organisations. So side by side with this debate about the regulation, do you think the BBC needs to articulate, for example, a much clearer view about what it thinks its future is, not so much as an organisation, but a public service? Well, I think you've, you've touched on one of the, to me, one of the most interesting things about this piece of legislation. It looked at from a few years ago, you could have imagined, and I think Ofcom toyed with the idea, that you could move away from support for institutions to defining a type of content that would be delivered, and could be delivered by all sorts of people, all sorts of different people. And actually, what this bill has done is to double down on the idea of institution and said, no, what we need to do is to ensure that there's a small number of sufficiently solid institutions that can continue to do this. And the job of what they actually do is left much more to them. So it's for them to define. So it is for the BBC to say, this is what we believe in. This is, what, this is how we see our purpose and this is how we're going to fulfil it. Do you think it's done that, clearly enough? Not yet, not yet, not enough. And I think the challenge is for it now to do that. So, so where the, what this bill has done has sort of removed the last vestiges of the government getting involved in defining what it thinks public service media is about, this sort of list of categories of types of programs and it said no we're not going to do that we we're going to reduce that to saying it's the job of public service media to make sure that the people are properly informed with an adequate and reliable and impartial source of news and that we support the creation of content in this country and in particular, we support content aimed at children. And that's really, it says, that's where it ends. It says, beyond that, you're on your own. You tell us what you think you're going to do that's going to add up to a definition of public service broadcasting. But the thing we're going to say by law is, you've got to exist, you've got to provide news, you've got to invest in homemade content that's going to meet the needs of the different audiences of the UK, and you've got to do stuff for children. And beyond that, it's over to you. <laughs> the problem with all of that is that when it comes to BBC, uh, the BBC, they talk about accountability, but that usually means saying, uh, we've decided this is the best thing, we're going to tell you, you can tell us what you think, and then we'll implement what we did in the thought of the first place. <laughs> I mean, where's the public in all of this, Tim? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's no attempt to say to the public, what do you think, what is important? I mean, virtually you've had a number of broadcasters, public service broadcasters, come to the DCMS, say, we need this in order to survive. DCMS looked at it and said, OK, this, that and other. And as you say, um, they can define public service. Well, what they tend to do, you know, I worked for the BBC, as yeah. you did, for a long, long time. BBC tends to think public service is whatever the BBC does. Yeah. And that is, of course, that's the inherent danger of the institutional approach, that you say we're, we're prioritising the, the retention of these big institutions over 
a definition of content of what we want to see provided. And you know, this sort of fork in the road has always been there. It's a sort of content versus institutions. And the institutions have won in the argument, and they've said, if you want to keep public broadcasting alive, you need organisations of scale that can do it. And the government has backed that argument and said, OK, but now you've got to deliver. Well, if you go down the other route that says, we, the government, are going to define what it is that we think you need to provide, it, you get to more and more granular detail and you get to the dreaded quotas that were the bane of everybody's lives. And I think the unfulfilled bit of the bargain is the public broadcasters being absolutely clear and explicit about what they think they're there for and how they think they're going to achieve it. And then, as you rightly say, how they think they're going to be held accountable to the people who own them, and not in the case of ITV, obviously, but for the BBC and for Channel 4, the people who own them and where and how is their voice expressed. I remember sitting in a some meeting, this is years and years ago, with Christopher Bland, the then chairman of the BBC, and they were announcing they were going to do all sorts of new channels and things. And uh, I'd, we'd had a communication. This was a pub public meeting. There'd been a communication from the BBC signed by the chairman saying, we believe we ought to be doing these things, but we're now consulting about it. And I timorously put my hand up and said, well, surely it's a bit tricky if you've already made up your mind, you're consulting, but you've already made up your mind. How do I get a look in? What's, what's, what's the value of my voice? You've already decided what you wanted to do. And I got a very withering reply back. Well, it, this is identical to what's happening in local radio at the moment, where, you know, a person comes along to the BBC, explains their plans, they say they're going to consult, and then they're going to, and they say at the same time as they're going to consult, they're going to proceed with their plans. Uh, well, let's, OK, I won't, I won't lobby to do this too much, but I, let me pick up something in terms of the explanatory notes outlining the bill, the DCMS Part 1, Public Service Television. This part of the bill updates and simplifies the current public service remit for television. It also seeks to change the legislative framework for PSBs to give PSBs greater flexibility in how they contribute to that remit. So they are deciding, essentially, what the remit is. Then they're given more flexibility. Yeah. In particular, it provides that public service content made available on a wide range of audiovisual services, including... VOD, uh, services, video on uh, demand, can contribute to the fulfilment of the remit. Now, that seems to me to mean this. Any programme that we as a scheduler in the BBC think might not, in conventional broadcast terms, um, get a significant audience and might have people turn away from us, can be put somewhere on the BBC iPlayer and as long as it's available on the iPlayer, the remit is fulfilled. Now, the next question, of course, is, well, actually, if you're only going to put the programme on the iPlayer, you're not going to spend a lot of money on it. So here we are. It seems to me that that's a depressing view of what this bill will allow the BBC to do. Is it a realistic view? Well, there's, as, as with so much in, in this sort of broadcasting and media space, the, the letter of the law doesn't give you much protection. If you look at the, you know, the constitution of the BBC or the way public service broadcasting is defined and to be delivered, the letter of the law is set at a pretty low level and it relies on... It's a, it's a bit like Peter Hennessy's got a good chat theory of government and public life. 
Which didn't quite allow for Boris Johnson. Which didn't yes. quite allow for Boris Johnson. Um, that is the basis on which public broadcasting has survived. That actually we've got institutions who have good instincts, who really want to do the right thing. And if you give them the flexibility, so take away the straitjacket that says you've got to run Songs of Praise on a Sunday evening at whatever hour, or you've got to do arts programmes within peak time, take away that constraint, they'll still do the right thing, but they'll find a more flexible way of doing it. The danger, of course, is that you, you do, as you say, you, you get a run to putting everything onto, onto the iPlayer or uh, whatever other on-demand service there might be, and the main channels are stripped of their high-fibre content and are free to compete with Netflix in a, in a spiral of death. You see, what worries me about this is the BBC and its push for efficiency, and I think it's a very efficient organisation now, as far as I can see, with a very good businessman uh, as the Director-General. The actual person in charge of all of the content, there's only one person now in charge of all of the content of the BBC in whatever form it produces. And the old system, which had real problems, but had barons who would fight for religion or science or something else, they've gone. So... There's a, a meeting at the top, there's a set of priorities decided, and that's implemented extremely efficiently. What there isn't, as far as I can see, is a wide-ranging discussion where people can say, actually, people will do entertainment, whatever, but this religion or science or whatever is terribly important. Let's ask the creative community to come up in ways of doing this because it's vital for the future of this country. Or... You say, look at the scale of immigration that's coming, look at the number of people who now um, uh, growth of uh, Muslims in this country. If you want them to believe that they're part of the BBC is for them, what are you doing for them? What programme is there? So who is there arguing? And m my fear is it's such a, uh, such a narrow pyramid now. You take away the quotas. You can, you know, there'll be plenty of entertainment, probably let lots of um, observational documentaries, what they may not be is challenging programme which is important for us to understand who we are and where we're going. But the, the counter-argument to that will be that, yes, we may have a, a, a much narrower pyramid at the top, but the thing that has been hugely broadened out is the amount of programming, the, 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 uh, the supply of programming that you can make available. So whereas before it was heavily constrained because we were talking about a small handful of linear channels that happened to be defined in the, in the legislation and that was the only way you could meet the remit. Now you've given these organisations more opportunity to create many more spaces that can be filled with public service content than there ever were before. There could be, but I mean, if you look at taking the old argument about one of the reasons for public services market failure... Mm. You could say there's a clear market failure in local journalism now. And that is something, therefore, that we should say to the public service broadcasters. We need you to focus on that and deliver something. Now, what the BBC is doing is, is um, well, they say it's not cutting. But what they're doing effectively is freezing the amount of money available to local radio determining that the they must move to a digital future, and in the process, disenfranchising an older 
and maybe reducing element of the community for whom there is it's an important service and for whom there is no alternative and at the same time local newspapers and others are withering and the reporting that's going on of planning decisions council decisions whatever is reducing now Surely that's a situation where you say uh, the market is failing, we need to intervene, and government need to be a little more prescriptive. I think it's a tricky one for government, isn't it? Where does government actually want to get prescriptive? And on, on the whole, in areas around what broadcasters should be doing and how they should be defining and meeting the needs of those audiences, government, in my view rightly, steps back from that and says, no, the, the reason we've got these organisations and we set them up in the way that we do with boards that are, question obviously about how boards are recruited and all that, but boards that should be properly recruited and representative and able to hold the feet to the fire of the organisation, their job is to deliver a public service remit. It's not our job to do that. If we start getting involved in that, then the government starts getting involved in programming decisions, in editorial decisions about where the BBC has to spend its money. That's a nasty slope to go down and would have been... Well, if it's too narrow, if if you're too prescriptive, but it's possible to say, is it not, that we have a major problem in this country with maths or actually with music in schools. We could identify a number of areas which we might think are in the, in the national interest. We might think, by the way, that rights to history and a number of other things. But anyway, there's a national interest. And as part of our collective understanding, we, uh, to cohere us as a, as a country, we need to ensure that these, and ensure our future, we need to ensure these areas are developed and are well within public service. Now, it's not for us to tell us what the programme should be in any sense, but it's us to say, rightly to say, the BBC, we want significant science programming from you. You must develop plans on that, for example. You might take the view I would about religion because it's so important to so many people uh, in, in, in different ways that you have to have something there. So is it not possible for the government to say, we're not going to be prescriptive, but we do say these are three or four key areas where we expect you to do significant programming. And I think the government would say that's why we appoint a board of the BBC, to operate solely in the public interest. Their job is to identify the public interest and meet it. And if they're not doing it, then it's their failure rather than the government's failure. So I absolutely, 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 absolutely agree that the board of the BBC should be looking at all of those questions and saying... What are we doing to rise to the challenge of a, of a, a mathematically illiterate population? What are we doing to rise to the challenge of a, a country that is still a country of faith in all sorts of different dimensions with a, a, a need that we may not be meeting? What are you, the creative leaders of the BBC, doing? And that should be their challenge. Yeah, but look at... Uh, look I, at how, I look feel at more chairman, comfortable look at, with that. Sorry, well, well um, here, yeah, but look, here, <laughs> that would be all right if in some ways we had a board or a chairman who was in any way representative or elected or, or had open public scrutiny about the appointment, but we have had from time immemorial and Labour as well as Conservative political appointees. On the whole, they, and government terms have gone native, and I would say actually seen the light, but, you know, you look at the last one. He was obviously a man with some public sense, of course, uh, uh, and he was a very good businessman, and I'm sure he contributed greatly to the BBC's business and approach 
But in no sense could he be said to, if you like, be a public servant in the way we've understood who sought to represent the interests of the community as a whole. It was a straightforward political business appointee. You look at the board that then came over, in some ways you could argue, overstuffed with people who were very good at business, not much anything else. You look at the Channel 4 board at the moment. The last time I looked at it, 13 people, nine men, four women, no, all white and you begin to wonder, if we're going to give so much power in deciding these things to these boards and these organisations, we have to do something about the boards that implement and decide on this policy. And where we are now isn't satisfactory, is it? I agree with that, absolutely. And I do think, I, I, I prefer that to be where we look for the solution than to the government getting encouraged to get close to programming and content decisions. I think that the government's got to make good on its on its pledge. I don't necessarily, I, I don't have a problem with the government saying, actually, this is a place we don't think we really want to go, but we do want to have organisations that are charged with delivering it. OK, so the next step for the government is, what do you actually influence? The argument is, the truth is, they influence the appointment of the boards. They give the boards their job and they tell the boards, go off and do it. Are they actually appointing the right people? Are these boards equipped, geared, set up to genuinely understand and then challenge the organisations to meet the needs of, uh, of a public service media organisation in the future? I, listen, I, I don't know the people on the boards of the, the organisations at the moment, but I would be hard put to it to say that the boards have a clear view that that is their job or that we, as the viewers and listeners and owners and people to whom these organisations are accountable have any clear sense of how they're taking our views on board in the ways that they make those decisions. That's where I want the focus to be. So, as far as I'm concerned, this, this bill gets rid of a certain amount of clutter. The simplification is fine, provided you identify, so who is accountable and how are they accountable. That's not in this bill. It is in the sorts of things like the BBC's Charter, and you know we'll have another look at that at some point. It is, you know, we've now got a Channel Four that is going to remain in public ownership, but it's remaining in public ownership with an even more explicitly re responsibility to be commercial. Uh, you know, it's, it's they've sort of said, okay, we're not going to flog off Channel Four, but we want the board to operate as though they had been flogged off. Um, I'm not sure that's the right answer. So uh, that's where I would want the focus to be. It's not in this. It's not in this Act of, of, of Parliament. That that's, this is dealing with different things. Uh, just a couple of things. I want to make one more attempt to get you to modify your attitude on quotas. <laughs> Let me... And, and talking... I just want to quote somebody I, we had talked to earlier um, in the series of podcasts. A guy called Marcus Ryder, who um, is very much uh, involved with uh, Channel 4 uh, and, and concerned about Channel 4. And he said, Channel 4 was set up to directly address market failures in terms of diversity of programming, diversity of talent and diversity of suppliers. He raised the question about whether it's doing that today, whether it would employ the services of Darkus Howe and Tariq Ali now. And it says, uh, by, he said, by Channel 4 has been addressing the market failures it was set up to address less and less by 2016. Nearly all fixed quotas in education, multicultural, re religion and training just vanished. Uh, 
Now, do you think that what you've talked about with the BBC really does apply to Channel 4? Because some of us think that Channel 4 is a bit lost. You take away the one hour at 7 o'clock, which is still a vital, Channel 4 News is vital, and you wonder, what else is it for now? Do you think it needs to redefine its purpose as well? My own view is that Channel 4 has increasingly struggled to find uh, a defining purpose for itself. And and I'm not sure... I I think that the uncertainty about uh, whether the government was going to sell it or not sell it and what its job and its role was has been broadly unhelpful for it in in defining for itself what its role is in in not just a multi-channel but now a multimedia space. It's done a lot of things extremely well. It's it, it moved, I think, into the digital space more positively and confidently than other organisations, but with a more commercial mindset in terms of finding an addressable audience long before other broadcasters got themselves into that space. So I think it's, it's approached its task with a, a commendably commercial cast of mind, but I don't think what it's done is to link that commercial cast of mind to a distinctively Channel 4 public service remit. And so you think that they say the channel, and we've talked about the BBC needed to define its public service remit, as government clearly does not want to do that. You think it's incumbent too on Channel 4 now that it, not just to go away and say, hey, we've escaped from privatisation, whatever, we now start to make some of our own programmes, by the way, and increase revenue that way. And side by side with that needs them to redefine the public service remit of Channel 4. Yeah, I, I think that's, I honestly think that's the next step that we the viewers, the listeners, the citizens need to see, is the organisation saying, OK, fine, so the government has got out of your way, it's got Ofcom out of your way in lots of places, this is what you've told us you want, so that you can get on with delivering the remit that you think is the one you want to deliver, tell us what it is, explain to us why it makes a coherent sense and what we will see as the benefits, and give us an opportunity to say whether we think that's a satisfactory version or not, and then tell us what you're going to do about our answers. This piece of legislation doesn't do that. It leaves an accountability-shaped hole that the public media institutions urgently need to fill. They've said that's what they want to do. Let them do it. And finally, can I talk about how we're going to pay for all this? Because we've talked about <laughs> needs to define public service and uh, and whatever. But anyway, how we're going to pay for it? I mean, the people are you know you talk to Charles Moore and others who I have done this podcast. They obviously want to get rid of the license fee. And then, you know, somebody explains to them, even somebody as uh, trustworthy, shall we say, from their position as John Whittingdale, explains it not quite that easy now, <laughs> whatever. But we're looking, looking to the future. You know, there, there, are, there are a number of options, aren't there? Charging a levy on every broadband connection, introducing an annual government grant. Let's take that one out. That's a bit dangerous. Take advertising. Take that one out, because I think the rest of the advertising industry and, and broadcasters wouldn't like that. A special tax on income to fund public service media. Got that in Sweden. Sweden, I'm not sure, subscription, well, or half and half or whatever. What do you think, um, where do you think we'll end up, or what's the shortlist of alternative ways of funding the BBC if, if we think the licence fee will become unsustainable in the next five years? Well, we've got to work out why we think the licence fee is unsustainable, and, and it's probably it's unsustainable because an increasing number of people will not be using the BBC services, although that, that tipping point has taken a very long time to arrive it's been predicted for a long time and it's taken a long time to arrive i've always been slightly less convinced by the uh the independence arguments attached to the license fee 
Because it seems to me that what happens with licence fee negotiations is that every five years the government has a perfect opportunity to turn the screws on the BBC and the BBC has to not necessarily hew to the government's will but nevertheless has to pay very careful attention to its public positioning in order to get a decent licence fee settlement. I'm not quite sure what the difference, you know, how, how that guarantees the independence of the, of the BBC. It's got constitutional independence. We can say, yes, it's not, you know, it's public funding, but it's not taxpayer funding. We're not in competition with the nurses, but we're not independent of government. It doesn't secure the BBC's independence from government. So what are the options? What would you think? Subscription? Uh, BBC, people talk to me about BBC you know, having a licence fee which guarantees a certain amount of basic services. You subscribe to buy a certain packages uh, of other things. Is that something you think might happen? I think it's something that might happen, but really only at the edges. I think it's very hard to define, hard to keep a definition of a BBC that is additionally doing things that are commercially funded but drawing on the benefits of being a publicly funded organization why aren't those being done by a fully commercial organization why why is why is the bbc involved in that at all i'm attracted to the half and half idea or the 80 20 idea or whatever fraction of yeah will it allow the bbc to bid for some sports rights that it doesn't otherwise get and put those onto some sort of premium channel well that would be a huge reversal of bbc strategy and taking it in a direction i'm not entirely convinced by so why would you do it? No, and why should it do it? If, why if you get it from somewhere else? Why compete with Netflix? Why, why not say, actually, uh, in drama, we've got wonderful rights in this. We want lots of people to be a wonderful domestic drama, and if they make it well, it'll be something that will be picked up internationally. But tell us, drama should be telling us about ourselves, should be having a conversation with ourselves. That's what the BBC's funded to do. And, and it's a failure to define those things. The idea that BBC must compete may, gives me no doubt that in the future the BBC will survive as a very successful international business. I think it will. But whether actually it is any more the key vehicle of public service, broadcasting, is to me an increasingly big question. Am I too pessimistic? Well, I think you're quite pessimistic, because um, I think there's an extraordinary longevity to the idea of why the BBC was there. I think people like you will continue to ask those questions, and I hope will get better answers out of the BBC. I mean, I think we, we have to maintain that pressure. But I, I, every time I get closer, I'm, as I say, I'm instinctively attracted to the mixed funding model because it looks as though it's a sort of sensible way of bolstering revenues. And the BBC already has a mixed funding model. It sells all these programmes internationally. But the closer you get to it for kind of direct original programming available to a UK audience at an enhanced rate the more it's in danger of questioning the ultimate rationale of the BBC in the first place. And, and that's, a, for me, a more dangerous place than a BBC that is more securely focused on its public purposes. And personally, I think if, if we've got that, I don't think the BBC has as much to fear from other alternative forms of public support uh, that it thinks it does. Because I don't think the current model delivers it as much independence as it says it does. And for you, universality, that idea that... Is core. The core it's doesn't matter how core. poor, rich, whatever, you shouldn't be able to buy your way into public service. No, absolutely. That's that, you lose that idea, and I think you really have, you have sold the pass at that point. Tim Souter, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Not at all. Enjoyed it.
And that's it for this week. Please do support our journalism. It won't take you long, and it's less than £2 per month, which also gives you access to a weekly newsletter. You can find the link on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform, where you will also find details of how to contact us on Twitter, Mastodon and by email. And, if you didn't know already, this podcast was presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It was a good egg production. Thanks for listening. Until next week, when I'm back in another sort of saddle, goodbye. <laughs>